Now, we all know that old playground saying, don't we? Stick and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, the thing is, if any of us have been on a playground, or actually just anywhere near human beings, we know that these words are just not true. And actually, teaching it to our kids to try to toughen them up probably does way more harm than good. Now, the fact of the matter is, all of us, no matter our age or life experience, we know, don't we, that we have first-hand experience of how much words can pierce our hearts and wound us and cast us into shame and despair. And the fact is, hurtful words can take all kinds of different forms, can't it? But few things hurt more than an outright lie against us. Few things hurt more than when somebody just outright lies about you, your character, the things that you've done, um, and all of a sudden, the whole world is turned against you. And the thing is, when that happens to us, what's our immediate reaction? Our reaction often is a temptation to lie as well, aren't we? We're tempted to lie, to embellish, to get back at the person who lied about us, or to make ourselves look better, don't we? I mean, there's this one memory that kind of just has stuck with me ever since I was a child. And when I was eight, um, as a family, we'd emigrated to Hungary um, from Taiwan. It was the first week of my time in an American school, and I didn't speak a word of English. I think I just managed to get A-P-P-L-E. You know, I was just about to say Apple, about able to say Apple. Um, and, you know, I was on the playground, and I have no idea why this happened. But this kid just decided that he didn't like me, and he randomly came up to me and, and just shoved me. Um, now, I, I as a, even as a child, didn't take that too kindly. And so in the ensuing tussle, my, my neck got quite badly scratched. You know, it hurt for days. And a button, one single button, came off from his coat. I definitely came off worse from that fight. Now, remember, I didn't speak a word of English at this point. And so, to be perfectly fair, I, I'm not entirely sure this is what happened. But from my perspective, what happened was, this kid went to tell the teacher what had happened. The teacher then came to me, and she, as far as I could tell, possibly, asked me to stay outside in the cold during wintertime, over lunchtime, on my own, to look for this one button in the snow. I, I remember being out in the cold, just crying my eyes out, just going, this is the most unfair thing ever. You know, what, why do all the other kids get to go inside, be in the warmth, and, you know, enjoy their lunch when I'm out here starving in the cold? Um, eventually, um, the teacher came and found me, and as far as I could tell, all was forgotten, except for me. Um, you know, as you can tell, I'm, I'm still, you know, 30 odd years, no, almost 30 years on, I'm still not entirely over it. And I have to be really careful telling this story in the pulpit 
Because what I remember, you know, as, as I think back, each time I've told the story over the years, the kid just got a little meaner. Um, you know, he got a, a little bigger as well each time. And the teacher, and you know, this is really mean, but the teacher became fatter and uglier and, and, and more unfair. So we see, don't we, all of us, if, if we've been lied about, if we've been falsely accused of something, the temptation always is to lie back at them and, and to kind of get our own back. And the thing is, like, this experience is not unique, is it? You know, all of us carry scars from lies from people that have spoken wrongly about us. All of our lives have been shaped by these lies in some way. And we live daily with those consequences of the hurt. So the question is then, what is our response when people seek to wound us with their lies? How should we respond to the hurt that was caused so long ago, or maybe even yesterday, or even just this last hour? The answer at least partially lies in the psalm that we've just read, Psalm 5. Now, we're going to see three things from this psalm today. We're going to see, firstly, the problem with lies. Um, secondly, we're going to see um, that it's a, it's, it's a proper issue um, all around the world. There's a pandemic of lies. Um, and then thirdly, we kind of come to the application, which is to ask for protection against lies, which is exactly what David does throughout this psalm. So firstly, then, the problem with lies. Now, in a sense, the, the, the pain caused by the lie itself is self-evident, isn't it? You know, I've already shared a little bit about how a, a lie made me miss lunch, got me stuck out in the cold Hungarian winter crying to myself as an eight-year-old. And this happens all the time, everywhere, all around us. And you know, there are people who are wrongly imprisoned because of false witnesses, um, witnesses who lie. And people are swindled out of their money because they're trusted in the wrong people. People fall from grace. They, they fall from people's favor because of malicious lies of their enemies. Now, one particular example of this comes straight from David's own life. In 2 Samuel 15, we read about how towards the end of his life, one of David's own sons, Absalom, lied about him to the rest of the people of Israel, telling them that their king was no longer interested in maintaining justice in the land, and that if only they would make him king, make Absalom king, Absalom would ensure that justice is done in Israel again. And we're told that by doing this, Absalom managed to steal the hearts of Israel, the hearts of the people of Israel. And this eventually led to Absalom revolting against his father and replacing him as king. And David was exiled at a really old age. But none of you need to particularly look to my story or even David's story. Um, all of you will have stories of the harm that have been inflicted on you due to people lying about you, whether that's in your personal life, professional life, or family life. Now, given the pain that lies cause to those who are lied about, it should surprise us, as we read through the psalm, that David's focus 
doesn't seem to be on the harm that has been done on him. His focus overwhelmingly is on the consequences of lying on those who tell the lies. This is totally counterintuitive, isn't it? Given the fact that David has suffered because of other people's lies against him, leading, you know, eventually, possibly even to the loss of his own kingdom, and plausibly could have led to the loss of his life, it is absolutely bizarre that he would focus on the consequences of lying on the person who lies rather than on the person that has been lied about. Now, the reason for this logically must be that the consequences for lying are so serious that it way overshadows the harm that is done by the lies. And indeed, we do find that to be true in verse 10. In verse 10, we see how those who tell lies are made to bear the natural consequences of their sins. And this eventually takes the form of banishment from God's presence. And you see there in verse 10, Make them bear their guilt, O God, and let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. So we see here that those who lie will fall by their own counsel. And we kind of know this from our own experience as well, don't we? So often our lies come back to haunt us. You know, I was reading this in the news the other day. You know, it's funny what makes it into the news these days, what, what counts as news these days. Um, but there's a woman who, who told some friends of hers that she and her husband couldn't go around for dinner because she had to cover for her boss, whose father had just passed away. She later made a post on Facebook while she was out with her husband, um, you know, having a drink, having a good time, whilst she would have otherwise been at this dinner, only to have her friend make an angry post in response, and then her boss posting that his father is actually very much alive. It's awkward. Um, and it's a little funny. But it illustrates how our lies do sometimes come back to haunt us, doesn't it? But ultimately, the, the natural consequences of our lies is not just social awkwardness or the shame of being exposed. Far more seriously, it leads to banishment from God's presence. See there in verse 10, in the second half? Because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. Now, why should God cast out those who lie? That seems a little extreme, doesn't it? I mean, after all, if we were to disown everybody who lies to us, or, you know, lies around us, if we were to tell everyone who lies to get away from us, to banish them, we'd have no friends or, or even family, would we? We basically wouldn't be able to interact with anyone if we banished everybody who lied. So why would God banish all who, who lies out of his presence? The answer lies in verses 4 to 6. We're told here that God is not a God who delights in evil, and evil may not dwell with him. You see, God is so morally pure that he simply cannot bear to be in the presence of evil. And you'll notice that David says that he's not a God who delights in evil. 
So what's implicit in that statement is that there are other gods who do delight in evil. And so if we're asking the question, why would God cast out those who lie? David here is asking us to reconsider how we think of God. He is reminding us that a Christian God is not like the other gods who, did, who delight in evil. And we wondered why he could not bear sin to be present before him. It is because in our minds, we've had the wrong idea of who God is and his character. And we've mistaken him to be like the other gods. You see, the Bible tells us that we, that is human beings, tend to make gods after our own image. In other words, we tend to make gods who are basically like us. So if you've read any of the classic mythologies, you know, Greek or Norse mythology, you know that this is true. The gods in those mythologies, Zeus, Odin, behave just like human beings. In fact, most of the times, they're even worse than human beings because they have more power. And they have more power to do more wrong. And in each of these mythologies, these gods who delight in lies and mischief. You know, you have Odin, who tricked an entire family of giants to kill each other in his search for wisdom and knowledge. Ironic. While Zeus was so well known for his lies that there's an entire section in a book dedicated to his deceptions or his lies. The Christian God is not like those gods. Perhaps today you're not a Christian. And, you know, I, I was in that boat before I wasn't a Christian. And, you know, I grew up in a pagan background. Um, that is to say, my mum and dad, my extended family, we all worshipped, uh, they all worshipped blocks of wood. And I remember from a young age just thinking, this, this can't be what God is like. This is ridiculous. You know, why would blocks of wood be able to do anything for us? And as I grew up with the stories that they were telling me, I can't help but wonder, you know, why are we worshipping these things as gods when they're so blatantly immoral? And perhaps you are not a Christian and you are one of those people and you have this objection that you think that God is immoral. Well, that's just not true. The Christian God is not like those gods. The Christian God is not just a more powerful version of us. The Christian God is entirely morally pure and he does not delight in lies or deceptions to the point that he simply cannot bear his presence before him. And the thing is, if you're a Christian today, you must take Dave's words seriously. The God that you profess to worship does not take sin lightly, not least of all the sin of deception and lies. He is not like those other gods. Now, if we readjusted our view of who God is and what, he, what he's like and his character, and we see that he's so morally pure it's impossible for him to bear the presence of any kind of deception before him, then the natural consequence of that then 
is that anybody who lies must be cast out from his presence. Now, maybe you're not a Christian, and you don't think that lying is such a big deal. And actually, you know, you're probably thinking, if the worst thing that could happen to me if I lie is I'll be banished from God's presence, well then, who cares? Why does it matter? It doesn't sound like such a big deal. I mean, you know, you've lived your whole life up till now out of God's presence, and you're doing just fine. You don't worship God. You're, you're, you haven't felt any presence of God in your life, and you're doing okay. Your life is carried on just fine. You're enjoying life without God's presence. So why should you care that God will cast you out of his presence if you lie? Well, the thing is, even though you don't recognize that God is present in your life, um, the fact of the matter is, he is present in your life. You know, we're told in the Bible that God, God is everywhere. And that he cares about his creation and he is constantly in charge of what's going on. Everything that you have comes from him. The clothes that you wear. You know, he's the one that provided you providentially or um, you know, in his sovereignty. He's the one that provided you with the job and the opportunities that you've had to get those jobs. He's the one that gave you the, the, the pains that you have in order to get all those opportunities um, so that you can then earn money to buy your clothes. He is the one who is in charge of all things and he has given you all things. And you know, it's an amazing grace that he shows that he continues to provide for you even though you don't deserve it. And you know, I, I kind of th- think of this like the relationship between um, heat and the cold. Um, you know, for, for those of you who, who are scientists, I'm sure you know, um, there's really no such thing as the cold. There's just the absence of heat. And so if you think of God's grace as heat, you know, it's, it's just there in the world. It's constantly around us. You know, whether you enjoy it or whether you kind of acknowledge that, okay, it's come from the sun, um, you know, the, the earth kind of heats up, whether you consciously are aware that heat is all around us or not, and whether you're conscious of the source of the heat or not, it is there. But as the heat is taken away, you start to feel the cold. And that's exactly what happens if God's favor, if his grace starts being taken away from the world, you will then know about it. That's when all the really bad stuff will happen. Now, maybe, maybe you think you don't lie. I mean, that would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? Now, you, you've seen the seriousness of the, of the consequences of lying. You've seen how, actually, if you lie, you are banished away from the presence of God, and that, that, that should be terrifying for you. But you're okay, because you don't lie. It's fine. Um, and so that, that's where we come to our second point, the pandemic of lies. 
Now, I'm just going to do a sort of big picture thing, and then we're, we're going to narrow in on individuals, not, not you guys, just person stuff. So, now, in a sense, the prevalence of lies in our society is self-evident. You know, just looking at us, looking around us, shows us that there are lies everywhere. I mean, all it takes is to turn on the TV and look at advertising. Um, and we know that which the whole world is filled with lies. And then if we stopped and seriously thought about the conversations that we've had each and every day, we also come to the conclusion that we ourselves are liars. But more than that, Scripture teaches us that we're all liars as well. And you know, maybe you're a bit more optimistic about yourself and you don't think that you lie. Maybe then, uh, you know, th- this little bit of research from social scientists, maybe, maybe you'll find this persuasive. You know, there was a recent study where they asked people how many times a day they think they lie. Um, and the average number that came out um, of lies per person per day was 1.65. And then in a separate study, the scientists found that the average number of lies were told every day is about 200. 200 lies were told every single day. Now, I'm pretty sure I don't talk to 200 people a day. I mean, I'm kind of talking at about 200 people a day right now, but I don't talk to 200 people a day, and I, I certainly don't expect necessarily to be lied to 200 times a day. But just, just think about this. If you are being lied to 200 times a day and you're not speaking to 200 people, you know, I'd be lucky if I speak to 10, 15. But in our heads, we only lie 1.65 times on average, per day. What does that mean? It means that we are lying to ourselves, and we're thinking that we lie way less than we do. Than we do. That's very telling, isn't it? The minute you think that you don't lie, you're lying to yourself. Now, we know that from other parts of Scripture, but you know, especially we know that from Paul's writings. Now, we read earlier from Romans 3, um, yeah. If we can turn there again, Romans 3, um, and we're just going to start from verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, can you spot why I chose that reading? It's because Paul directly quotes verse 9 of our psalm this morning, in verse 13 of Romans 3. And how does Paul use it? He uses this verse to show how we're all sinners. Notice that in verse 9? 
We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So whether you are Jewish or non-Jewish, that's everybody in the world, we're all under the power of sin, and in this case, especially the sin of lying. And let's, let's just be honest with ourselves here. You know, we've seen the scientific research, we've seen it in Scripture. Actually, we know that we tell lies. We know that all of our mouths are full of deception each and every day. So the third thing then, what do we do about it? We ask for protection against lies. Now, we've seen, haven't we, how the consequences of lying is way worse than the consequences of being lied about. You know, the consequences of being cast out from God's presence to be able to never feel any of his grace or favor on you. That is way worse than any kind of temporary suffering that people can inflict on you in this life. And so, actually, what we should be far more concerned about is for God to not protect us against the consequences of other people's lies, but for God to protect us from lying ourselves. And so, rather than biting back, rather than lying about the other person to try and get them back and, you know, to to regain your status or whatever through your words. So, in my case, you know, I should not embellish on how big the kid was or, you know, how mean he was. And I definitely shouldn't be talking about how the teacher is fat and ugly because I'm pretty sure she wasn't. Rather than doing those things, we should ask that God will protect us against our lies, against, to, to protect us from falling into lying ourselves. And we see that here in, in Psalm 5, don't we? If you turn back with me to Psalm 5. We see that most notably in verse 8. Notice what David does here. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. He asks that God will actively lead him to lead a righteous life. And we also see the same thing in verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt you. So we ask God to lead us in his righteousness and we ask God to protect us from lying. But there's a problem there. We've just been told that God banishes those who lies away from his presence. Then, and, and we've just, we've just seen how actually all of us lie. Then the problem is, why should God listen to us? Why should God listen to us when we plead for his leading 
and, in, in, and for his protection. Why should he listen? The answer lies um, in, verse, in verse 3. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, and in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. David knows that God will hear him because he has offered a sacrifice. He knows that because he has made the sacrifice for his sins, so his sins have been atoned for, his sins have been taken away from him in the sacrifice. That's why he knows that God will hear him. But again, that's weird because in the Old Testament we know that these sacrifices consisted of grains or, or bread or oils or animals like lambs, sheep, bull. Um, you know, those things are not human beings. Why should sacrificing them pay for any of our sins? That just doesn't make any sense. But the reason those sacrifices are accepted by God in place of our sins, in place of our, us, is because it points forward to the ultimate sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ makes on the cross. He is the lamb that is sacrificed for our sins. He is the one that all our sins get nailed with on the cross. And because of what he has done, God can then hear our prayers and he will honor them, honor his promises. And you'll notice as well that, you know, David doesn't here just say, because I offer these sacrifices, you therefore must automatically hear me. No, how does he come to, how does he come to God? How does he come to God? In verse 7. Through the abundance of your steadfast love. This is not just a simple exchange of our sins onto Jesus and his righteousness onto us. No, this is so much more than that. What Jesus did on the cross was was an expression of God's abundant love for us. It's not a pure economical exchange. It is a show of God's love for us that we can come to his that we can come in his presence that our sins are paid for by Christ now if that's the case if we come to God able to ask for his leading and his protection through the Lord Jesus how should we live our lives on a day-to-day basis well, so the first thing, actually, when we're being lied about, we must turn to God and ask that he protects us, not from the consequences of the lies, although we can ask for those, but that we must ask that we do not fall into the sin of lying ourselves. We ask for his leading and his, his leading in righteousness and his protection that we don't fall into the sin ourselves. But secondly, we remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has already done on the cross for us. And as we remember that, we remember his example. Now, do you remember? 
as you read through the Bible, as you read through the New Testament, and especially right at the end, when everybody was lying about Jesus, about how he has sinned and how he deserved the death penalty, and you've read about his entire life, and you know that he has spent his entire life sinless. He's never done anything wrong. And these guys are just lying and lying and lying about him. What does Jesus do? He continued to tell the truth. And he continued to act with integrity, even to the cross. Even through all the suffering that he had to go through, he acted with integrity. Now, I'm really aware that there, there's a sort of dual danger in, in, in talking about this in this way. Um, you know, firstly, we can start thinking that in order to stop lying, we should just follow Jesus' example and you know, just try really, really hard not to lie. But on the other hand, we can also start thinking, well, actually, if Jesus has paid for my sins and he has paid, therefore, for my lies, then who cares? And what I've come to realize as I've sort of meditated on, on, on how this works is that usually, um, you know, when, when you tell somebody you've got to work really, really hard, um, the, the people who kind of takes it to heart are the people who are already working really, really hard um, and, you know, that who are sort of just not doing anything about it. They're the ones who, who then kind of zero in on what Jesus has already done for us. So I, I kind of want to flip it for you guys today. I mean, think of it as a workout. Think of your growing in Jesus' likeness. Think of your growing in this particular area of not lying as a workout. Now, you know, for anybody who's done any weights, you'll know that you, know, you, you kind of need work days and rest days. Don't you? You need days where you're just like, grrr, you know, really going for it. You're building muscle. You're exercising. But then you need rest days as well. You know, the, the days where you are exercising, you are building muscle. Um, you know, th- those are great days. You're doing stuff. It's excellent. But if you carry on that way, you know, if you continue to just just lift heavier and heavier and heavier weights. Um, actually, you, you're, you're going to do yourself some damage. And that's exactly what happens when somebody is, you know, all do, you know, just try harder not to lie, and remembers and doesn't remember that there is rest in what Jesus Christ has done for them. Now, there are two dangers with that, isn't there? One of them is that you're so proud of what you've achieved, that in not lying, that you end up falling into pride. And actually, we know that pride is just as bad because... You know, look in um, this psalm here. The arrogant are not people who can stand before God either. The boastful, in verse 5, shall not stand before your eyes. And so, actually, by working really hard not to lie, you end up, in almost a worst-case scenario, where you end up in spiritual pride. I mean, the other danger is that you work really, really hard, really, really hard. You're desperate not to lie, desperate not to lie, and yet you fail. And you've worked so hard that you forget that Christ has already paid for it. And you're broken. 
You forget that you can come to Christ. And the, whole, the only thing you can do at that point is just curl in on yourself and think, oh my goodness, I'm a wretched sinner. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And you just get spiritually depressed in the worst cases. And so you need to work out. You need to work hard. But you need the rest days as well. Now, you know, if you've, you know, as this illustration goes on, if you've never taken up weight, if you've never tried to put to death the sin of lying, and today you need to start. But know that actually, just like doing weights, that there needs to be a bit of a sort of warm-up. You, know, you need to kind of get into the habit of growing in righteousness, growing in um, Christ-likeness. And so be patient with yourselves. Try harder. Do try harder. All the time remembering what Christ has already done. But try harder and be patient and not get to the stage where you try lifting too much weight in one go and you end up injuring yourself, either with spiritual pride or or spiritual depression. And so what do we do then when people lie against us? We turn to God in prayer with this psalm in mind through the Lord Jesus who, when tempted to lie, especially in the face of unfair accusations, we remember both what he has done and his example in life. And we rely on God's leading in righteousness, and we can enjoy his protection. Let's pray. Father God, we are so aware of our lack in this area of deceitful um, speech. Um, Lord God, we know that so often um, we speak wrongly uh, of each other, uh, of ourselves, uh, and even, Lord, of you. Uh, Lord God, may things that are spoken um, out of turn, that are wrong, may they just fall away. And Lord God, we pray that you would be glorified um, in all that we say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.